0: Hello everyone, welcome to another TEDxUWA Thursdays episode on the UWA Alumni Voices podcast. My name is Sophia Kearney-Allen, I am the founder and licensee of TEDxUWA and a UWA alumna. I graduated from UWA with a Bachelor of Science in Engineering and I'm currently in the United States on a Research Fellowship. At TEDxUWA we host TED-like talks, focusing on the impressive work and inspiring stories from UWA students, staff and alumni. We have teamed up with the Young Alumni Network to continue this conversation sparked by our UWA alumni speakers through this podcast series. Every fortnight, a TEDxUWA member will bring on a UWA graduate that has previously spoken at a TEDxUWA event to discuss their experience as a speaker and what they have been up to since their talk. In this episode, I am joined by the amazing Heidi Yan. Heidi is a two-time Olympian. She represented Malaysia in the 2012 and 2016 Summer Olympics. She holds three Southeast Asia Games gold medals and another gold medal in the Asian Open Water Swimming Championships in 2017. Now, Heidi is a solicitor at Clifford Chance where she practises in litigation and dispute resolution. She also volunteers as a non-executive director of Surf Lifesaving WA, the president of the Perth City Swimming Club and is a mentor with unlimited women. She's a passionate advocate for gender and cultural diversity and she spoke at our conference in October last year. So without further ado, welcome Heidi, glad to have you join us.
1: Thanks very much Thea, that was a fantastic introduction. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> so how are you doing? What's What's been keeping you busy lately? Uh,
1: a lot of work actually. So um, we, our, our firm um, went to a working from home situation uh, due to coronavirus, which a lot of places did. um, And we have started to filter back into the office. So we're back in the office now and things are really ramping up and I'm working on some pretty big matters. So that's keeping me very busy as well as um, having been rushed back to Perth. I was actually seconded to Sydney um, where I had been since this time last year (laughs) actually, and um, came back for what I thought was a weekend and ended up being stuck here because our Western Australian borders uh, closed. So um, I had to relocate my life back over to Perth and settle in, which has been quite a blessing in disguise. I get to spend time with my dogs and my family my friends. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it's been quite an adjustment. So, yeah, really working working through that now.
0: Yeah, no, I, I can imagine. How have you been managing sort of, you know, finding that balance between being on and off work life?
1: Look, it's been really hard, and I say it's been hard because um, I tend to work long hours anyway by virtue of the um, job that I do. Right. But um, also the separation between working from home and um, you know that obviously and, and your personal life because that filters into your home environment. Uh, you do have to think about strict ways to separate the two. Right. So. I've had to do that for quite a while by virtue of my swimming career and making sure um, when I'm working, I'm working. And when I'm swimming, I'm swimming, which is a little bit easier to do versus work and personal life
0: yep.
1: <laughs> um, from a physical uh, practicality point of view. But certainly the emotional and mental separation is difficult.
0: Of course. Of course. Now you, you talk, about these things in your fantastic talk. So Heidi spoke on the TEDxUWA stage in 2019 about how to make the most of you know juggling your life, but also juggling uh, your you know that, that work life balance, but also sort of mm-hmm. making the most of your role models. Now, if you haven't watched Heidi's talk, you should definitely do so. There will be a link in the description, or simply Google TEDxUWA Heidi Gan. I guess the first question from that perspective is, Heidi, what was it like being involved with TEDxUWA and doing a talk? Yeah, it was
1: fantastic. And um, I think the overriding emotion besides it being an amazing experience was actually, it was a very stressful time for me because I had accepted the, um, the role graciously. I, I was really excited to do it. Um, and then I... I was seconded for work to Sydney. So my experience was quite different to probably what the other TEDx speakers um, were able to experience in the sense that um, the um, coaching that we were able to do as part of the process, um, I had to do remotely. So I worked with a fantastic speech coach, Lisa Evans, um, and she was really great facilitating our training sessions remotely. But, yeah, the other TEDx speakers, um, as I understand it, did a lot of group sessions. And so it was a different experience for me because I actually only met my um, speech coach when I came back to Perth for that weekend uh, for the TED conference. So interesting, very difficult um, time <laughs> zones to manage. But it was it was a really fantastic experience because I've always done public speaking um, for well, for a lot of my life and I've really enjoyed it. And the TEDx experience is quite different in the sense that you, first of all, you do need to engage the audience like you're doing any, at any point when you do speak to people. But also the style of TED is quite different to how I would usually present. And so it's much more narrative. Um, I get a stage with a circle in the middle, which is really cool. Um, and yeah, you know, the whole process is very professional. So a fantastic experience. I was really, really grateful to be a part of that.
0: Oh, that's great to hear. Um, Lovely sort of getting that testimonial from you. But also, I guess, that experience last year, maybe have prepped you for the current situation with remote working (laughs) and having to communicate (laughs) with everyone virtually. Yeah, yeah,
1: you're probably right, actually.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And juggling time. Yeah, yeah,
1: I think that's a good, a good point. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) definitely. (laughs)
0: Sure. now in your talk itself you mentioned some really important points and takeaway messages sort of messages that can resonate with pretty Mm. much anybody in whatever stage of their lives and careers one of my favorite lines in your speech is use other people's successes to benefit yourself not to compare yourself i love Mm. that could you elaborate a little bit more on this life lesson and how you came about to sort of finding that amazing phrase yeah sure
1: so um, that's you know the closest thing I probably have to a personal mantra in the sense that um, I, I truly and genuinely believe in in what I'm saying when I say um, take from your own successes and don't compare them to other people, and that resonated it with me and it kind of came about when I was doing um, a speech to I think at the time they were um, primary school kids and um. I'd mentioned in my TEDx talk, I get a lot of um, messages from people on various platforms, um, my Facebook page, LinkedIn, Instagram. um, Some people find me on email. I don't know how, but various platforms. And um, one person said to me, you have achieved so much. I can't even fathom how you've done it. Um, And basically said, you know, I could never do what you could do. And they didn't mean that in a negative way at all, but I felt quite, um, I guess, quite struck by it because I thought immediately, well, you don't need to do what I did at all. In fact, you can't because we all have our different lives. So um, to, to be quite, I guess, disappointed in yourself because you can't go to the Olympics and, or go to two Olympics and do what I did, that should by no means discredit your achievements. And I said that to this person and they were like, oh, okay. And I I was like, you know, you just don't need to be like someone else because you have already achieved so much and you will achieve more. And to compare that to someone else really takes away from what you have achieved. And you shouldn't do that because you can't compare yourself to other people. It's just not an even playing field. So that's where the story came from. And I found that the more people I spoke to, even when I spoke actually at UWA uh, last year, Students would come up to me and say a similar thing. You've achieved so much. I could never have done um, a double degree while going to the Olympics and holding all the board positions that you do. And again, I would say, well, this you don't need to, and that's fine. Um, so this is something that I was experiencing from the junior primary school level child down right up until university students. And even professionals were saying that to me, people who were um, advanced in, in years to my age. So it's a really interesting concept that stuck with me.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's an amazing sort of, you know, self introspection moment. I can just imagine mm. so, you, know, you, you know, meeting people from all walks of life, you know, complimenting you and, and saying these things. And sort of I guess putting yourself, you know, up on a pedestal when in fact, you know, that yeah, wasn't your right. original intent at all, you know, it was just kind of you doing you and then people just like, yeah, wow, yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, I
1: think, <laughs> Look, yeah. it was very flattering. Yeah. Um, but the, what I didn't want people to take from my story um, was that they couldn't achieve that and they weren't good or they weren't valuable because they couldn't achieve that. Yeah. Um, and that's certainly not what I set out to do when I speak to people.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's an amazing sort of, you know, mantra, definitely, for sure. <laughs> I think, you know, you briefly touched on sort of your background. Before your career in law, currently you were, you know, you were swimming competitively um, from national yep. championships to Southeast Asia, so sea games, to being an Olympian representing Malaysia. I mean, mm. you know, and the first time you competed, you were still studying full time and, you know, a law degree at that too. <laughs> How did yeah. you manage all that and more? Because, you know, I also understand that you basically self-funded your entire swimming career alongside mm. all your studies and, and obviously your downtime as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. um. I look back now and I think that was I mean I even I don't even know how I did it um very crazy period of my life um look it involves a lot of discipline and time management and um organizational skills which is a no-brainer to anyone really but um to be honest it really goes down to priorities and my priority number one was the Olympics um I wanted to to excel in my sporting career because I took the view that I had a limited lifespan to do that in the sense that I couldn't be an Olympian when I was in my mature ages at you know 40 or 50 Um, I had a a smaller window to do it so in terms of law um, I knew that I had more time to do that and my personality is such that I want to do everything So I really had to work on my mental skills and my organisational skills to prioritise. And so I kind of triaged all my priorities. And my first priority was swimming. So I would never miss a training session unless I was ill or injured. Um, And that was number one. And number two was university. Um, I was adamant that I wanted to have a university career, or sorry, a university degree. uh, So that when I finished my swimming career, I would have something else to 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 go into Um, I was very conscious that I didn't want to be a retired athlete who just who I guess who lost a sense of purpose I wanted another purpose and I was interested in having a career as well Um, third priority was work and I needed to work like you said to fund my athletic career because um, I wasn't getting any or much funding at all from swimming Malaysia save for funding me to attend competitions overseas. And most athletes in Australia would be eligible for, for example, um, Australian Institute of Sport funding or Western Australian Institute of Sport funding, which is where I was based at the time. Um, But because I represented another country, I A, couldn't access that funding, which makes sense, but also B, couldn't access those facilities. So I couldn't use the Institute of Sport gym coaches, um, and I had to pay for everything, including services like massage, um, physiotherapy, dietitian appointments, etc. So I needed to work, but again, I wanted to do everything. So I really, I felt the need to work because otherwise, I would finish university, I would finish my swimming career, and I wouldn't have, I would not have any work experience. Um, so I really wanted to incorporate that as best I could as well, and. I mean, if you actually take a look back retrospectively, which I have done now, um, I was working as soon as I could in Coles um, as a checkout chick, as it was called back then. (laughs) Um, And so I've always worked and I've always really liked my independence and I liked, um, I I just enjoyed working. So I worked around my swimming and my um, university commitments where I could. And I started working in paralegal jobs and um, junior jobs in law firms to get that experience. Also to get a flavour for the legal industry because I, at the time that she wasn't too sure, I wanted to be a lawyer. And that has all benefited me greatly in hindsight. Um, I have a lot of experience. I generally, more or less, know what I want to do, what I enjoy, um, B, I was very tired, <laughs> very, very tired at the time. So whether it was the best for my sporting career, you know, questionable, but it was the best for my, um, I guess, my personal, um, it, my personal goals and the way I was, a bal- I was balanced as a person and an athlete. And that all feeds into who you are as an athlete. So I couldn't um, separate that part from my athletic side. And so I think in the end of the day, it made me who I am today. I'm very grateful for those choices I made and the experiences I was able to um, to have during that time.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's just amazing. To, you know, to hear your your experiences and and the decision making process behind it because I think you know mm. we are the world is our oyster. We have so many different opportunities just waiting for us to just grab hold of. And I think what you touched on in terms of prioritization is is key for us to really know which, you know, which opportunity mm. to select first, which one is the best time to do which. Um, and that takes a lot of, you know, a lot of maturity and a lot of wisdom to actually, you know, sit back and really think, hmm, which one should I actually pick first? You know, mm, it, mm. maybe, you know, maybe B seems a lot more attractive, but, you know, for the sake of time yeah. a, it could be done first <laughs> or vice versa. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's amazing to see how, you know, how that, Um, decision making has really paid off uh, for your career Mm -hmm. and you know so go on
1: (laughs) so sorry I I didn't mean to cut you off I guess um one other thing to add to that is you can triage things and prioritize things but the other thing that's really important is to acknowledge that if you're not committing 100% to one thing um you will compromise that one thing and so I was committing myself to quite a few different aspects and I, I had to accept that um I wouldn't be getting the, the best marks I could probably be getting at university because I chose to do all the other things. And I also had to accept that, you know, I probably wouldn't be the best, absolute best athlete that I could be because I was doing all these other things, which was compromising my sleep and my recovery. Um, but I made those decisions and I lived with them. And that's something that people really have to accept when they want to do everything. Well, there's a trade-off that comes with that.
0: Yeah, definitely some wise words to live by. <laughs> and you know with all that determination and and that decision making you have essentially so far encompassed and achieved many accolades and awards um you know and it's pretty safe to say that you're more than worthy to be considered as a role model um, especially to women and girls both in and out of sport um Mm. i think you know to many of us especially the younger generation we tend to choose our role models based on several factors but a commonly shared one is someone who is essentially, you know, successful. And I've got sort of quotation marks um, sort of hovering over my head right now, because I would say the quick and dirty way to determine success is essentially how many achievements or awards one has. But I know you believe Mm -hmm. that that mindset should should be shattered or at least reframed. Um, Tell us what success means to you and and how should we determine who our role models are?
1: Mm. That's a really good point. Um, I am, I guess, typically uh, identified as being successful because I have accolades and awards and achievements. You know, I, I use the word achievement loosely to my name. Um, and I, th- I really do think success is a personal, subjective measure which can only really be identified based on one's own um, circumstances. So hmm. I achieved you could say success in my athletic career because I went to the Olympics. In fact, I went to two. And in that sense, I, I did things, historical things. Like I was the first Malaysian to represent their country in open water swimming at the Olympics. And um, I was one of, I think, seven Olympians in London. I mean, a very um, groundbreaking historical kind of achievement, so to speak. Um, but then on the flip side of things, and I, I did touch on this on my TED talk, um, I was called a failure in some um, newspaper outlets after the Olympics because I didn't win a medal. Or I came, um, for example, in Rio, I finished 20th, and in London, I finished 15th. And so some media outlets refer to me as a failure um, because I had disappointed the country by not doing better than I did last time. And so just coming from a reframing perspective, I thought I had achieved my goals by making it to my second Olympics. And the circumstances of that second Olympics for me personally were very difficult. I was suffering a lot of injuries. Um, By that stage, I was working full time as a lawyer. Very challenging personal circumstances to balance a Olympic sporting career with. Yet I, I felt that my achievement was actually qualifying for the Olympics pretty much against a lot of odds. And then to be told that I was a failure um, after the second Olympics uh, was quite confronting. And that made me realise, well, hang on, I'm going to define success my way and I'm going to remember and remind myself that my success and my achievement here was actually qualifying for the Olympics under extreme adverse circumstances and against a lot of odds. So that's my achievement and I'm going to remember that. I'm not going to be defined by someone else's view or interpretation of what achievement is in the Olympic setting. And that was my power. And so that's when I say to people, um, to define success really depends on your circumstances because you can take a fantastic, what you might think is a fantastic um, circumstance or achievement or opportunity, and someone can completely reframe it and turn it around as a failure, a disaster, um, a disappointment. And it's simply a matter of framing. So when I say to people, um, you know, or when I talk about success, it really comes down to what you consider to be success and what you want to achieve um, and your goals and if you achieve those goals irrespective of how they compare to other people's goals then that in itself is a success. So it's really kind of witchery loose way to describe success I'm sure that's not how um, at all how it's described in the Oxford or Macquarie dictionary but that's Heidi Gann's interpretation of success and um, I think when it When it comes down to identifying role models, um, it really, I think, you really need to think about what someone, um, I guess, or what what attribute of that person that you think could be a role model um, rings true to you. What inspires you about them? And, you know, I might think an actress or an actor um, is phenomenal, but I don't actually have too much in common in the creative space, at least um, with actors. So to say, Oh, for example, I want to be um, like Angelina Jolie. Well, why is it because of a human, her humanitarian side? Is it because her acting career is it because of her um, modeling careers because of her business attributes. And so when you're looking for a role model, I think um, you really need to think about, first of all, yourself and what you're looking for. And then, see if what you're looking for um, is an attribute or a strength that is in other people that you generally consider to be role models, um, rather than blindly seeing someone in the spotlight who's thrust upon us um, by the media or is on a pedestal and thinking, I wanna be like them. Because to me, that blind following um, is not only, not necessarily the the most efficient way and the best way to to idolise people and to uh, be inspired, but it can also be detrimental because what they stand for or their, or their achievements again, so to speak, um, could just be not relevant or even just out of, out of scope, not applicable. And so um, it could have a detrimental effect by demotivating you actually.
0: yeah, it's a long, very yeah. winded
1: answer, so I'm not <laughs> sure if that made sense.
0: <laughs> no, that, 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 that makes total sense to me because it really links to sort of, you know, just a, just a thought popped up in my mind as you were sort of responding to that question I guess in a way it's like a sort of a flip side of, of being a role model mm. so n- now that you know that you have that you have been acknowledged by a, as a role model by someone <laughs> mm-hmm. one person can make a difference already I guess you know now that you have that sort of brand in, in your frame of mind now you kind of have to like keep up your a game and you have to kind of be like, <laughs> like like you know on guard like all the time and be you know be the best the very best version of myself and especially I guess as an Olympian you get constantly put on a pedestal both sort of figuratively mm. and, and literally how has that been like sort of experiencing that all that kind of firsthand I assume it's kind of like a sudden snowball effect sort of the moment you know you get sort of get to represent malaysia and i assume you know all the media outlets start sort of coming after you and then you know the the fans Mm. and then the audience Mm -hmm. how has that has that experience been
1: yeah it's very overwhelming and i was quite lucky in a sense that my first exposure to the media was probably when i was about 15 and i went back to the malaysia for the games which is our national malaysian games and um i'd won some awards and i'd um won some records and gold medals as such. And I was all over the paper, front page, back page. It was quite confronting. And um, I I think, you know, it's really a credit to my family and my friends that I was so grounded at that time because it's so easy to let that stuff go to your head. And I like to think I'm quite a humble person. Um, And I just, yeah, it's very overwhelming. but at the end of the day, I learned very quickly that the media will be your friend one day and the next it won't be. <laughs> so I was also acutely aware that um, fame is a very fickle creature in the sense mm. that I could be um, quote unquote famous one day, um, but the next shiny thing will come along tomorrow and I'll be forgotten. And um, that for me was really important to remember. And my, my family always t- told me that as well, because if you tie yourself to fame and and not that I have fortune, but fame and fortune and everything that comes with that publicity, a following, um, is you identify, we sat so closely and then the next day that fickleness sets in and it vanishes and you've actually lost your identity. So I tried to take a very pragmatic approach to that um, and just remember that I am who I am and my personal traits are this and this is what I value and fame. Yeah, everyone loves to be famous, I guess, but it wasn't a core value of mine at all. And so I kind of deal with it in my stride. I have a lot of respect for the media as well. Um, I, I, you know, the media are very aggressive at times. And some of the journalists um, I thought were my, again, quote unquote friends, um, or at least were on my side pre-Olympics. And they were the ones that ultimately said I was a disappointment after the Olympics. And to me, I just took the view that, look, that's their job. That's going to get them um, ratings and views, I'm not going to take it personally. Let's just deal with this professionally. And um, I take the time for the media because they, they take the time for me. I'm very respectful because it's their job. And, um, yeah, you just really need to take it in your stride because social media these days, I tell you what, um, you know, cancel culture and everything, it's just, it's all too real. And yep. the one thing I really like to do is not to just put my shiny, happy side out to everyone. Um, And I try to do that by being very honest in my talks. Um, I often talk about my struggles emotionally, um, physically, mentally in the lead up to the Olympics and even after, because I think it's very dangerous to say I'm an athlete. um, I'm an Olympian. I'm a blah, 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 blah. I'm on a pedestal. Look how great my life is. I'm going (laughs) to put it in all your faces on Instagram and you will, never see a weakness because I don't have any ha 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 yeah and it's just not the case so um I'm really strong on trying to share my weaknesses and my struggles with people because to be quite honest they're the things that also resonate with people because everyone has weaknesses and adversity um and struggles in their own lives and if I can find that resonating point with someone that makes them feel connected when I talk then to me that's something that I've achieved
0: Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's very, how do I say it, you know, it's, it's very inspirational hearing you not only be so open and raw about your experiences through, through your talk at TEDxUWA, but also through a couple of, you know, other plenary speeches that you've made uh, with the UWA Student Guild and everything. I've essentially been secretly stalking you (laughs) um, (laughs) at at these different (laughs) events, but um, it's, it's fascinating how you can talk about one concept in so many different ways but and yet you still keep it original and you still keep it so authentically you um and that you're not afraid to share you know both the ups and downs um and and how you kind of overcome mm. sort of the, you know the obstacles which is what how i find you know you really inspiring and and i think you're definitely you know role model role model worthy um but i guess from one role model to another you know, <laughs> Who are your role models? I've always been curious to ask you this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I get asked this a lot. And um, I'll be honest, I tend to say to people in advance, um, I won't answer this question because um, it seems almost a bit contradictory because the answer is I don't have a role model, um, or at least not one. And it seems contradictory to do a you know, half an hour talk or whatever it might be on role models and then say, but actually I don't have one. Um, so I have various, I guess, people who I would identify with and um, I guess you could say they're role models, but certainly during um, my years as an athlete, I didn't have a role model because I didn't identify with anyone. Um, at that time, who was an athlete that I really thought I want to be just like them um, because I've always held the view that I just should just be the best version of me. And to be honest, there weren't many athletes who had interests as spread and varied as I did both in terms of um, um, not for profit, kind of giving back to the community um, goals and aspirations as, as well as professional legal career aspirations, um, as well as, um, athletic aspirations but also athletic aspirations um in my particular circumstance which are quite unique. So um being an Australian Malaysian training in Australia but representing Malaysia but not being able to speak anything else but English is just a very um unique situation. So I just I really struggled to identify with anyone in that sense. Um, but now I tend to model or sorry I tend to identify with people who are potentially my role models I guess you could say um and these people presently take the form of probably senior female lawyers because I really admire how they've progressed in their careers to get to senior positions um in a in an industry which is historically very sexist and um I guess, how they balance their family commitments and their other commitments. I'm quite interested in that area at the moment and I do a fair bit of work in gender diversity. So um, a lot of these women are absolutely inspirational, fantastic people um, putting aside their, their gender for a second. And so I, first of all, um, really relate with them Um, I really connect with them, I'm really inspired and motivated by what what they've achieved. Um, But also they're tangible in the sense that they're people I know or people in my network that I can reach out to. To me that's really important because therefore I'll be able to make that connection. And so um, I can pick up the phone and speak to one of them or I can get their email address and contact them and and meet up for a coffee and they're the type of role models I like to have. as opposed to people that I don't think I'll ever meet in my life, be it they might be inspirational in their own mind or sorry, in their own right. Um, I prefer to have more accessible role models.
0: Yeah, no, that's um, definitely sort of, you know, I think um, I totally agree with you sort of, for me, I guess, sort of role models always sort of change as, as my career and also my life progresses. And mm. I definitely sort of in in the same boat as you in terms of like I ha- I can't really identify a specific person, but I can identify a certain sort of, you know, uh, demographic of people Mm -hmm. or sort of a specific sort of type that I want to identify with. Um, And I guess speaking of identification and representation, and you also touched on giving back um, previously, you do often reconnect with the UWA community back here in Perth. Um, be it through alumni events or, or student functions and even with the TEDx UWA lineup. And yep. that's where you kind of really shine with, you know, trying to to be that, you know, identity that that you had wished um, you could sort of, you know, see mm. <laughs> when you were growing up and trying to find your own role models, which is really great and, and very admirable. What is it like being, you know, such an active part of the UWA alumni network? <laughs> I
1: really enjoy it. And I think um, the people that work in the UWA alumni group um, and the students, you know, yourself included in your organisation at TEDx, it's so fantastic because it really resonates with what I stand for um, and what I'm really passionate about, which is giving back to the community. And I have a, a bunch of athlete friends um, who will say to me, well, why do you do all this free stuff why why do you do all this speaking um and i i always say well i feel like my my again my achievements in um, proverbial inverted commas um aren't really aren't really going anywhere aren't really worthwhile if i'm not sharing my experiences with other people i feel it's almost a waste to not tell my story because if it inspires someone else or causes them to think outside of um, their mind or what their norms are you know if 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 i can achieve that with someone it's a really great and powerful thing and for me university was a really fundamental point in my life in the sense that i'd finished school i was finding my own what i wanted to do i still didn't really know i was trying all these different things as you've heard um, and i was quite impressionable And I sometimes um, think that if I can help someone else in that position, simply by telling my story and talking about my hardships and what I went through or or sharing tips on how I manage things, um, yeah, I I think that's a really meaningful, powerful thing for me and it really adds value uh, to my life personally because, again, I think it's such a waste to not share these stories um, with other people, particularly if they'll take something from it. And if there's a chance they'll take something from it, I'm more than happy to give up my time to help other people. Um, That's what drives me. It's part of my personality. And um, I just love being involved in the UWA community. Um, They've welcomed me back many times with open arms. And I did spend um, about 10 years there across the span of, um, well, two degrees and I started another one before I went to law. So, you know, I'm very grateful to the university, but the network is great. Um, really supportive of me they were very supportive when I went to the Olympics and did all my various bits and pieces so if I can give back to um, another impressionable Heidi Gann who is 10 years or so younger um, you know I'm I'm more than happy to um, give up my time for that for that end.
0: Yeah fantastic well you know bringing it back to current times we are definitely undergoing some unprecedented situations right now with you know, Mm -hmm. the pandemic and so on, it's full of disruption, it's full of change. Um, In your opinion, what does role modelling mean in today's pandemic world?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question because I think there is a chance to over-idolise people now um, because I, you know, it's probably safe to assume people are more stressed now than they have been previously because there's this great global wide uncertainty in the world. Mm. And, when people are uncertain, um, myself included, of course, they tend to look to other people and identify strengths and um, I guess almost cling on to them tighter than they would usually. Um, and so I think there is a propensity to identify someone as a role model and um, get fixated on their life and what they're doing um, because our situation is more stressful and uncertain and forgetting to focus on ourselves. and um, I think role models are great in this time where we can identify with someone who is doing something great, that might help inspire us in this pandemic. Um, so for example, if they're working if, you're, if you've lost your job and you've um, identified someone as a role model who has also lost their job, but they're doing other things that inspire them and you take inspiration from that. I think that's fantastic. I just do think that there is a risk that that inspiration can turn into almost obsession, or if not obsession, um, a propensity to stop focusing on yourself and focusing on other people. Because also our screen time is increasing during this pandemic. We're not able to do as much. We're at home. And as we already know, there's so much um, fakeness on, on social media. Um, I just think that there's a real risk that we will lose ourselves a little bit during this time. Um, so if we're not picking the right role models or at least identifying what it is about these role models we re- that really, really resonates with us, there is a risk that that could happen.
0: Yeah, no, that's definitely totally agree with 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 that whole sort of you know uncertainty and making sure that we stay grounded um Mm. and and try to stay you know strangely as as physical um as possible during this you know virtual world try to stay as humane Mm. as possible during this sort of you know
1: yeah yeah
0: an interesting question for you what would you say is your biggest accomplishment and your biggest regret in your career or even life so far um
1: hard <laughs> um given you know i've spent a few minutes saying each each way you sorry uh, each person identifies their achievements and and then <laughs> yeah um, objectively <laughs> uh for me i think my greatest achievement today has has been um qualifying for my second olympics and i qualify this by saying um it's not so much the achievement of being a dual Olympian. I mean, that's fantastic. And the status and, you know, the, I guess respect that comes with that. Um, it was more the the challenges I had to overcome to get to that point. I look back now and I I can't believe I was even in a state to swim um, physically, but mentally I was going through a lot. I had a lot going on um, in my family. Um, there was a lot of, um, Small businesses coming up. Um, I had a lot of emotional things going on. Um, My head was just like rattled, um, mess of emotion most of the time. And to think that I um, could work through all of that and then qualify for my second Olympics on a um, competition course, which, um, for everyone's benefit, was in Portugal in 14 degree, 14 to 16 degree water in circumstances where I'd actually been pulled out from that course with hypothermia um the last time I raced on that course (laughs) there was a lot going on and I overcame all of that to qualify and to me um that really proved to myself that I um I was resilient I was perseverant I was determined and I could do what I wanted to do Um, and I could work through my challenges and there was a lot um, but I could do it and um I was I guess in a sense worthy um, and I deserved, I deserved to go to the Olympics. Um, and so that to me was probably my greatest personal achievement um, because it, it, I overcame so many things on so many different fronts, um, including work. I mean, I floated a company two days before I left for, for the Rio Olympics. The amount of stress I was under to float this company was just insane. And I, I look back now and I think I can't believe I did that um, amongst everything else going on um so yeah I just I overcame a lot of challenges a lot of hurdles across a lot of different areas and that's something I'm personally very proud of um and I look back to that and I think you know whenever I'm going through a hard time I think well you know Heidi come on you did all that this deadline is a piece of cake or whatever it is that I'm dealing with um as to failures I don't tend to see anything as a failure um, because every time I don't achieve something, I feel like I um I learned something from it. Uh, The closest thing I would say um, to my biggest failure um, would be um, probably not so much an actual event, but more um, my approach as a junior athlete and as a younger person to um, everything I had going on. um, And and definitely my approach to myself, and I'll explain that because that sounds terrible the way I just worded that, but basically um, I I never had confidence in what I was doing. Um, I didn't think that um, I could do things. I was very self-critical and I held myself up to a very, very high standard all the time. Um, I was extremely disappointed when I didn't win a race um, and I would just beat myself up about it rather than going, well, that's life. You can't win all the time. Why didn't you win? This isn't why. This is what you could have done better. Let's do that next time. Um, for example, at university, if I didn't get a, a certain mark, I'd just be so disappointed in myself. And I'd be really, really hard on myself. And um, people will say, you know, in hindsight, what would you say to your younger self? And um, my biggest, I guess, regret, so to speak, is that um, I was so hard on myself and um, didn't give myself a chance to just be, to be flawed, Um, To be me, to be human, um, and at the end of the day, I've learned it's okay to, again, so to speak, fail. It's okay to to fall short of your achievements. That's life, Um, and you learn from it, and you actually become a better person from it. And um, I say to a lot of people, I probably lost, uh, I couldn't even quantify it, but more races than I I won. I probably lost 90% of races, and the 10% that I won are the ones that people see. And um, people talk about, you know, my resilience, my perseverance. Well, that's why, because I lost a lot of times and I fell short of goals that I wanted to achieve a lot of times. And that's why now I am the person I am today.
0: Yeah, no, uh, fantastic. I think you definitely touch on a lot of these things in your Today's Every Talk. And again, I encourage everyone who hasn't listened to it Mm -hmm. or has to to (laughs) re-listen and get that insight. And you know straight you know from from the source herself, what would you like to to have listeners take away from your talk, and what responses have you had received so far yeah um i
1: well i guess touching in your your second point, the responses i've received so far have been really, really positive, and um makes me you know i guess makes me realize that what I can do in just um telling my story um and how that resonates with other people just makes everything worthwhile you know I talk about how it a very stressful time I was flying back and forth sitting I was very tired it's all worthwhile to me that's minimal happens anyway I would have been tired I would have filled up my time with something you know much, far less meaning meaningful um, so the, the I guess the most feedback I've had was that your story really resonated with me because of x y z and all these people that reached out to me were not athletes. So the part of my story that resonated was not the the, the sporting side. And um, I was really grateful for that feedback because I never set out to um, talk to people and be like, I'm a swimmer. You should be a swimmer <laughs> or like, this is my sporting career. And, you know, people would just go, oh, I'm not, I'm not an athlete. So the fact that um, I was able to connect with people on various levels was really reassuring and um, makes me just so passionate about what I do. I think the feedback has been that, you know, you talking about your struggles and overcoming your adversity, sorry, um, displaying adversity to overcome your challenges is something that really struck a chord with me because I've got this going on in my life and I really like how you dealt with that. And I'm going to do that in my personal circumstance. And um, I've heard that a few times and that makes me really pleased that people are taking that from my talk. And, um, so going back to your first point, I would really like people to listen to what I have to say with an open mind and see if they can identify with anything that I'm saying um, and apply it to their own circumstances. So my stories of success, I hope that they can use my, um, I guess, my fables or my um, my tales of overcoming challenges and adversity to, to achieve um, and use that as inspiration for their own um, things that they want to achieve. And then perhaps they might listen to my experiences um, and the way I um, dealt with certain challenging times. And they could perhaps consider how they might want to use what I did there and apply it to their own circumstances to help their own situation. And I'm not saying it's a, she did X, so i I'm going to do X as well. Um, it's just, I think acknowledging that people who are put up on a pedestal or otherwise um, deemed successful do have challenges at acknowledging that and acknowledging that that's okay and they're also human. And um, if she can do this and this is how she, do it, she did it, maybe I can also do that in my um, respective endeavours. And that's what I'd really like people to take um, from my talk.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Look, in an ideal world, if we had all the time in the world, I would love to just keep going with this conversation. <laughs> it's been so insightful and enlightening to hear, you know, your experiences and to hear your opinions on um, all these amazing topics about role models and success and achievements and how we should, you know, carve our own sort of successes and, and determinations on, on, on how we should you know, basically you know, mm-hmm. achieve. Um, and it's been so insightful. So thank you so much, Heidi, for your time um, with this conversation. It's been fantastic. And thank you to our listeners for listening to this podcast. Um, you can stay up to date with TEDxUWA through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, and be sure to follow the UWA Alumni Voices podcast for more amazing and insightful episodes with fellow UWA alumni. Um, our next episode of TEDxSydney Thursdays comes out in two weeks' time, and we will be speaking to our twenty eighteen conference speaker Phoebe Ho. So please join us then. Uh, but otherwise, Heidi, thank you so much again. Would you like to let the audience know where they can follow you?
1: Sure, um, I'm. Pretty contactable um, I, I pretty much use instagram as as my platform, so at Heidigan one, um, otherwise LinkedIn is a great professional platform. Um, I am often contacted on LinkedIn actually by um, people from the UWA network, so very happy to be contacted there as well they 're my primary um, points of contact and. You know, I, I always have a lot of time for people who reach out to me in the first instance to ask me questions or say, you know, I've heard about you, or have talked, I, I listened to one of your talks, I was at one of your speeches and, you know, I just had another question. I'm more than happy to make the time for those, um, for those kinds of people that reach out and, you know, take the time to do that. And particularly um, my UWA family. So please uh, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm very easy to find.
0: Yeah, great. So be sure to connect with Heidi, be sure to watch her talk and then reconnect with her (laughs) post-talk for all your discussion questions. But until then, um, it's been fantastic. Thank you, Heidi, and thank you for listening.
1: Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Thea.